0: Chapter 21 of Snarled Identities This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Christopher Brown cpbserve.com Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter chapter 21 chapter 21 The Masquerader Joins Cray. Green Eye Gordon, Nick Carter's double for the time being, did full justice to the excellent dinner that he found ready for him when he reported to the detective's dining room. To have asked for special dishes would have been a risky thing to do, and, even if he had an active dislike for anything that was served to him, he had sufficient self-control to conceal that fact. To be sure, He would have preferred other things, and his craving for drink often nearly overmastered him. But he succeeded in fighting it down. At any rate, during the hours he spent under the eyes of Nick's servants. It was a few minutes after seven when one of the detective's cars drew up at the curb, and Danny Maloney, Nick's chauffeur, honked an announcement of the fact. The supposed Nick Carter left the table, explored his pockets for the last time to make sure that his loot including the automatic was all in his possession and then went out to the machine he was more afraid of danny than any of the rest for the chauffeur's eyes were very keen and he had had more than a taste of detective work on the various occasions when he had jumped in and helped out in a crisis nevertheless the impostor felt that he could not afford to do too many unusual things and he had sent for danny instead of calling a taxi i'll be behind the fellow as soon as i get into the machine he mused he'll only see me for a few minutes therefore as i've already stood jack cray's scrutiny and am going to invite it again i ought not to have any trouble with this fellow he did not of course danny had no reason to doubt that his chief had returned unexpectedly and therefore it did not occur to him to give more than a passing glance gordon was dropped at the station in plenty of time to catch the seven thirty for new pelham a small suburban place a few miles to the north in westchester county both the motor car and the train afforded opportunity for very agreeable daydreams connected with the papers in the scoundrel's pocket and by the time he stepped from the train at the village he had persuaded himself that a big fortune was as good as within his grasp and that there could be no possible hitch it is not to be wondered at that his hopes ran high, for certainly his daring had carried everything before it thus far. High tide is invariably followed by low, however, and although the ebb might not set in for some time in Green Eye's case, it was sure to come, sooner or later, for wrongdoing is its own worst enemy and devours its own children. Jack Cray was waiting on the platform when Gordon alighted at New Pelham, and it was plain from the ex-police detective's bearing that he had had news of unusual importance to communicate. You have hit upon something, I see, Green Eye remarked in Nick's quiet tones. Cleared up the whole thing, I hope, Cray assured him excitedly. Let's stroll in this direction. There are not many houses, and we need not be afraid of being overheard. Lead the way, the masquerader agreed, adding, when they had left the platform behind, I'm curious to hear what you have dug up, Cray. Before you begin, though, I'd like to give you a few of the results I have arrived at in my study since you left me. It will be interesting to see how near they come to your findings. He was proud of the way he had analyzed the matter, and could not resist the temptation to parade his results. Go ahead, invited Cray, in an expectant tone. He was thinking of Nick's achievements in that line, and looked for something out of the ordinary to be sure his famous friend might take the wind out of his sails as had often been the case in the past but jack's admiration was sincere enough to stand even that test the fact that he was not disappointed in this instance is perhaps the most remarkable tribute that could be paid to gordon's intelligence just a word or two then greeneye said in a self-satisfied tone that was far from characteristic of the man he was impersonating in the first place I've made up my mind that there's no use in looking for Simpson in New England. The trail starts there, of course, but it ends here. Here! echoed Cray in amazement. How the dickens did you hit upon that? Gordon had not meant the word to be taken quite so literally. He felt sure that the fugitive had headed for New York or some place in the immediate neighborhood, and he was inclined to believe that he was lurking in the vicinity of New Pelham. But he was prepared to shift his ground, if necessary. Now he realized, as a result of Cray's amazing question, that he was on the right track. Furthermore, that realization gave him confidence and helped him to fit in the rest. Oh, I've just arrived at it, he said carelessly, determined to use his companion's unconscious tip for all it was worth. He has been back in New Pelham. "'and will be again if he isn't at this moment. "'More than that, I have a suspicion "'that he has been lurking about his own house.' "'For the love of Mike!' Cray breathed, "'looking his admiration as they strolled through the gathering dusk. "'You sure are a wizard! Not a bit of it. "'I simply use my reason, and when I find two and two, "'I don't hesitate to put them together.' knowing that the result is bound to be four. But what in thunder led you to think that the fellow would come back here? Especially that he would dare to return to his own place, demanded Jack. I called up Griswold and learned that he had never lived in New England, and had spent most of his brief vacations here at home, or out in the Middle West. That helped to give me a start. And I sized Simpson up as a man with some clever ideas, but probably timid and unacquainted with the world in many respects. I reasoned that such a man might conceive the idea of outwitting his enemies by hiding his stealings in the last place which would be likely to be searched his own. And once thought of, I felt sure he would decide on it for other reasons. Because he was essentially a homebody, for instance also because he was not in touch with crooks and wouldn't wish to trust anyone with his secret. Of course, he admitted, it wasn't all reasoning. Some of it was intuition, or plain hunch. His use of an electric machine, though, went far to convince me that I had the right idea. Its only advantage seemed to be its silence, and I couldn't imagine what good silence would do him unless he expected to hide the gold somewhere without those in the immediate neighborhood being aware of it. The bulk of the stuff, you see, made it necessary to use a vehicle of some sort to transport it. Well, it naturally occurred to me that the person he would least desire to know anything about it was his wife. All the time thinking, or seeming to do so, he was keeping one eye on Cray and thus he was able to tell that he was not going astray. In short, he concluded, the more I thought about it, the more certain I became that the chap had hidden the stuff somewhere within earshot of his own house. Of course, though I didn't attempt to carry the theory any further, that would have been a waste of time. Let's hear, though, what you have discovered. End of chapter 21 Recording by Christopher Brown cpbserve.com dot com.